Welcome to Prairie Dock On Call, made possible by the generous support of Larson Manufacturing and many other corporations and individuals. Their gifts to the Healing Words Foundation, a 501c3, provide 100% of the funding for all Prairie Dock programs. Please follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube, and go to prairiedock.org for more information on making a charitable gift. Sight is one of our most important senses. Sadly, we often do not think of eye care unless something goes wrong. Eyes, a window to your health. Tonight, on call with the Prairie Doc. Good evening and welcome to On Call with the Prairie Doc. I'm Dr. Jill Cruz. Our sight is the key in navigating our world and caring for our eyes throughout our lives is important to maintaining vision health. But first, a look at this week's Prairie Doc quiz question. We have a multiple choice this evening. Choose two of the following options. In developed countries, a leading cause of blindness include A, infection, B, complications of diabetes, or C, glaucoma. Choose two. Viewers who call in the correct answer will be entered into a drawing to win a copy of the book, The Picture of Health. Each of Dr. Holmes' essays, originally written for On Call with the Prairie Doc, comes with a wonderful accompanying photograph by Dr. Judith Peterson. We will announce the answer and the winner at the end of the show. Remember, you only have 10 minutes to get your answer in. We answer your questions about eye health as they are called in or sent to us via Facebook or email. Call in questions to 1-888-376-6225 or send us an email to the address on the screen. Joining us tonight in studios, Dr. Elizabeth Atchison of Ophthalmology Limited, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And remotely via Zoom is Dr. Gail Bernard of Rapid City Medical Center in Rapid City, South Dakota. Welcome, I'm so glad to have you both here and I'm glad to have an all-female panel today. This is wonderful. So I'll have you guys introduce yourselves. We'll start with Dr. Atchison. Tell a little bit about where you're from, uh, how long you've been practicing. and yeah. So um, I'm Elizabeth Atchison. I'm in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and I'm originally from Sioux Falls, so I'm very happy to be back home. Um, I had gone away for all my training, but now I've been back in Sioux Falls as about, for about three years as a retina specialist. Excellent. Wonderful. So, and Dr. Bernard, tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're practicing at, and where you're originally from. Oh, and it looks like we're having a little technical difficulties here with audio, so we'll get back to Dr. Um, Bernard when uh, hopefully things uh, start working better here. So. Unfortunately, technology is not always uh, on our side here, so we'll roll with the punches and, and see if we can get her back on. It was working earlier, so I think we will. So, well, I would say probably the first question to get out of the way, and the most important one, is what's the difference between an optometrist and an ophthalmologist? I mean, that's the one I think people ask me a lot, because they both have optho in the name, and they're both very long, so who's who and, and which doctor does which? Yeah, um, so optometrists and ophthalmologists are both um, specialists in eyes. Um, optometrists go to school for three years after college and they um, 
specialize in kind of overall high eye health. They're very good with glasses and contacts and um, often screening for and, and treating kind of routine eye conditions. And then ophthalmologists go to the four years of med school after college and then four years of residency. Some will go on to specialize in a certain part of the eye, um, but they have that more broad training and tend to specialize in um, more of the specific problems of the eye and any surgeries that, that the eye may need. All right, so kind of your annual exam usually is with an optometrist, and if you've got more specialized problems or need surgery, then you're going to see the ophthalmologist. Yeah. So, okay. So longer word, longer school. Yes. All right, good way to remember it. So, well, wonderful. So we will start kind of talking about it. Now we're kind of into allergy season, and I know eye allergies are a big thing. Thing. Is there anything that you can do to kind of help with kind of dry eyes or allergy eyes? Yeah, you know, especially lately with all the pollen that we've had, this has been a big issue for a lot of people. Um, and everyone's a little bit different, just like with systemic allergies in terms of what works best for them. Um, you know, oftentimes the oral allergy medications will help with your eye allergy symptoms. Um, for a lot of folks, adding artificial tears just to help keep the surface of the eye lubricated is almost a barrier to pollen in addition to being um, just really soothing for the eye. Um, a lot of my patients find that if you keep the eye drops in the fridge, the artificial tears in the fridge, they're more soothing um, when you use them. But um, kind of systemically, um, you know, trying different medications, mm -hmm. seeing what works for you, and using artificial tears regularly can really help people. Yeah, that's a very important thing because of kind of those itchy, dry eyes. That's just very irritating symptom of uh, allergies that a lot of people it can be miserable. Yeah, yeah, deal with. Yes, yep. And a lot of the stuff now has gone kind of over the counter, like the Alloway and Patadé. Those used to be prescription only now, yeah. and so that's a and, great and those place are another to start. Thing. Yep, people can try Zatador as another one. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Well, super. So then how do people tell the difference between kind of their allergy, eye irritation, and pink eye? I know that's a, a big thing I see a lot in clinic is pink eye, probably not something that you see on a day-to-day -day basis. It really comes down to are, your, are the rest of your symptoms more allergy or more kind of cold related? Um, classically, and sometimes those are hard to tell apart too, but classically pink eye is more associated with um, the other symptoms of common cold, whereas allergies is more the, the itching, the sneezing. Um, sometimes you can't, you can't tell and, and you need someone to take a look and tell you to. Excellent, very good. So, well, let's get to some viewer questions here. Uh, I think this one is right up your alley while we're waiting for Dr. Bernard to come back on. So a Facebook viewer asked about retinal detachment. Is there anything that can be done to avoid it happening to them? So the, the simple answer is no. Um, unfortunately, what I tell my patients, this is something that, that we have to deal with a lot. Um, it's a bad luck thing. Um, sometimes it can run in families. Sometimes it's just you know, something unique to you. I would say um, being aware of the symptoms of retinal tear can be helpful. So anyone who notices a whole bunch of new floaters, flashing lights, or if part of the vision goes missing in one eye, they really need to see an eye provider um, pretty quickly. Oftentimes, if we can catch this when this is just a tear or a hole, we can prevent it from turning into a detachment, which is okay. a great, great thing. It's much easier to go through, much better for your eye if we can catch it when it's a tear or a hole. Um, and just having regular eye screenings to see if you have an area like that. Occasionally they are asymptomatic um, and we can 
add some laser and really reduce the risk of that turning into a retinal detachment before it's a problem. Wow. So, and if that's not caught with, is there like a window of time that's that if it does actually detach that you have before it would become like permanent or? There's no hard and fast rule. Um, surgically, what we tend to think of is we like to, if the vision's still excellent, um, there's some data that shows that we really like to deal with it within three or four days. Um, once the center of vision's detached, there isn't as much difference um, in terms of when you operate, but we still like to operate within a week. There's no hard and fast rule, certainly when people have had it for years. Um, unfortunately, there's not typically much we can do um, but there's no hard and fast rule. Okay, well that's, that's good to know. So if you have concerns, don't wait for weeks and weeks and exactly. weeks because that's not gonna be a, a good outcome. Right, or the, the sooner you get it um, looked at and oftentimes they find nothing, which is great. Then you know it's, it's nothing to worry about, but um, certainly not something to sit on for a long time. Yeah, excellent, all right. Well, macular degeneration can easily be tested anywhere you are using an Amsler grid. Prairie Doc reporter Tori Burnt spoke with Joe Woods, an ophthalmolic assistant. Your words are tongue twisters. <laughs> at Ophthalmology Limited in Sioux Falls to uh, show us how to use this tool. Can you start by just explaining the Amsler grid a little bit? I certainly can. So uh, it is a tool that we give our patients just to check for any changes to their vision. Um, it's probably the most instrumental tool that we give them uh, to show that their eyes are changing and usually when they come in they have had changes in their eye when we dilate them so this is what it looks like i'll just give you an example it's kind of like a line graph if you all can see that so that's what it's going to look like to a person that has normal healthy eyes um, however if they are having changes to their vision this is just an example of what it's going to look like there may be missing pieces, distortion, waviness, and that's just gonna be an indicator that there's something else going on with their vision or with their eye. This one is actually in the form of a magnet uh, and it can just go right on your fridge. Uh, every time you walk by it, uh, you can just take a glance at it. Uh, let's just say the next day you're noticing, oh, well, there's some waviness right over here. That's an indicator that things may be changing with your eyes and we'd recommend that you go see an eye care professional to have it further evaluated. The best way to use it is just to hold it like you normally would any reading material. You're gonna stare at this black dot that's right in the center and you're gonna look around the edges. When you look around the edges, if you notice any missing lines, any distortion, any waviness, that's gonna be the indicator that there's something underlying that's going on. When you are checking the Amsler grid, it's important to check uh, just one eye at a time. So if you are checking this Amsler grid, you're walking by it, this magnet on your fridge, make sure you cover one eye, glance at it, look where I instructed you to, right around the edges of that dot. And do the same thing with the other eye, look right around the edges, make sure there's nothing abnormal, and then you'll know for sure. So just make sure you just do one eye at a time. To find an Amsler grid, you can simply search for it on the internet and print one out and then check your eyes. So do you have any um, thoughts on that, Dr. Amsler? How often should people be using an Amsler grid or? I typically tell them to try to 
have a set time that they use it at least once a week. Okay. Um, I find that if they make it part of their routine, I often say if, if there's something you do every Saturday morning, associate it with that and make sure the key is to cover one eye and then the other. Okay. Um, it's a test that's best done with one eye at a time. Yeah, I know they do come in the magnets. I know I have a, our neighbors across the street had one on their fridge and every time I go by their house, I kind of like check it when I'm there visiting to see if it works. But it's, it's a really easy thing to do that you can do to screen for yourself for macular degeneration, which is wonderful. So, well, lots of people have called in. <laughs> All right, well, I hear Dr. Bernard is back with us, so I will let you introduce yourself, Dr. Bernard, and then we'll start asking you some questions here. All right. Let's see, is it still going? I'm not, oh, we're still having technical difficulties. Oh, live TV, we're doing our best here. We'll see if we can get her back on. But while we're there, waiting for that, uh, lots of people asking about macular degeneration, so it's a very question. Um, one caller was wondering, if they were to give to a foundation for eye research or specifically for macular degeneration, which um, organization should they be donating their money to? Who would be helping uh, fight this? And I think the Research to Prevent Blindness does a lot of good work um, funding research um, on many different eye diseases, including macular degeneration. So that, I think that's an excellent place to start. That's a good, okay, wonderful. So another Facebook viewer asks, is there anything that you can be uh, doing to prevent the macular degeneration because they had a, a grandparent who had it and they would like to avoid that if they could. Absolutely and unfortunately it is really common to run in families and the number one thing that really slows down the progression of macular degeneration and decreases your risk of getting it is not smoking. Um, and obviously that's excellent for other areas of your body as well but that is the number one thing that you can control. Um, I'm hoping as time goes on we'll have more treatment for it, but that's the number one thing to do, and then start getting regular vision screenings as you get older. Good. Is there much that they can do to treat macular degeneration at this time, or is it just kind of a slowing the progression of it down? Or So unfortunately for dry macular degeneration, which is the more common but less aggressive form, there still is not much we can do. Um, for some people who have enough macular degeneration, there are some eye vitamins which can slow the disease, but we do not have anything to stop or reverse, although there's a lot of clinical trials going on right now. Fortunately, the huge stride that we've made is wet macular degeneration, which used to be the really devastating type that took your vision quickly. We can now slow down, stop, and sometimes even partially reverse, which has been huge for folks. Wow, that's, that's wonderful. That's yeah. so exciting. So, all right. So a caller from Ipswich, South Dakota say, stated that she lost her retina two years ago. Is there a place in South Dakota that it could get fixed? It kind of depends. You know, there are many different things that can happen to your retina. Um, unfortunately, there are still many things that are not fixable. Um, retina is neural tissue, so once it gets a scar, that's still kind of the end of the road. Um, and that can be for many different occurrences. Obviously, I don't know if that's what she's dealing with. Um, but I would encourage her to see an eye professional and find out exactly what happened to her retina and it unfortunately may or may not be something that is fixable. So it all depends on what it is, where it is, and, and how long it's been there as to what can be done. Exactly. Excellent. 
All right. Now we we're talking about macular degeneration. Uh, a caller from Sioux Falls states that what uh, they have a question about what's a macular hole. Is that different than macular degeneration? Yes. So the retina is the whole back part of the eye, and the macula is the really important part right in the center. It's the part that you use to recognize faces, to read, and so it's really important. One of the more common things that can happen is macular degeneration, but a totally separate thing just affecting the same part of the retina is a macular hole. And that is, although it affects the same part of the retina, a totally separate thing that is oftentimes fixable with surgery. Okay, so fascinating. And what causes those holes? Again, bad luck. Bad luck. That's, that's kind of a common oh. denominator in retina, unfortunately. So a lot of stuff with the back of the eye just... Comes out of nowhere. Just happens. Which is really hard so, for folks. Yeah. Nothing to blame. Exactly. It, it just it just happens. And nothing you could have done differently. All right. Sounds good. Well, something we do have a little bit more control over is with diabetes. And I know diabetes definitely affects the eyes. And the whole point of my job as a primary care doctor is to try to keep those blood sugars under control so they're not damaging the eye and making your job harder. So I know one thing that I encourage my patients every year, see your eye doctor and get screened for diabetic retinopathy. Do you wanna explain what that is and why I harp my patients so much every year to say you have to see your eye doctor is so important? Certainly, um, and it is one of the more common things that we see. The retina is very dependent on blood flow. And one of the things that diabetes really affects is the ability for blood flow to be in enough volume to keep tissues healthy. And so in diabetic retinopathy, if it gets bad enough, the, the blood flow is not as good in the retina as it needs to be, and the retina can respond in a few different dysfunctional ways. Um, one is that sometimes it can get some swelling. Oftentimes we, can, oftentimes we can treat that with injections, but that does mean that patients need ongoing eye injections, which certainly patients would rather prevent and not need. The other thing that can happen is if the retina suffers enough from a lack of blood flow, it, it responds by growing these abnormal blood vessels, which are really problematic. Um, it seems like something that would be great, but unfortunately, because of where they are, they can cause bleeding and this abnormal scar tissue that it can actually pull the retina off of the back of the eye if it gets bad enough. Um, and so it's, it's one of those things that if you can prevent it, it's much easier than dealing with down the road, although fortunately there are a lot of things that we can do to slow diabetic retinopathy progression. Excellent, so, and very important once a year, and to get that dilated exam, because I, I look at their eyes with my tiny little handheld ophthalmoscope, but what sort of tools do you guys use to get a better look at that back wall of the eye? So we always do a dilated exam, and it's just so important. You know, you can only see about 25% of the retina when you're undilated, and you really need to get the whole picture of eye health to be able to screen people appropriately and, and intervene when you need to. So one of the key things is just being able to look at all of the retina using the tools that, that we have, and, and frankly, you guys don't. Um, and then we have a specialized camera that uses light to recreate kind of a 3D rendering of the retina. And that's a great way to screen for not only swelling, but now we can actually get a good idea of the blood flow as well, which has been really helpful in, in determining what level of diabetic retinopathy and how concerned we should be about patients. That's fascinating. Well, one thing I, I try to tell my patients is when I'm looking with my little handheld, it's like I'm peeking in through the keyhole to see what's in the room. You guys open up the door and say, hey, what's here? So you get a much better view. So don't depend on me and my little peephole 
you know, vision of that eye to say everything's fine. So that's why you guys are, are our first, last, and only line of defense for some of that, that specialist with your uh, equipment. So definitely, I, I really appreciate it. And I get so happy when I get those letters back saying, no diabetic retinopathy, see back in one year. And I go, oh, thank you. I'm, thank you so much for all that you guys do. And I, I appreciate that communication we have back and forth to letting me know that my patients are doing okay. And I've had more than one eye doctor, optometrist, and ophthalmologist send me patients and say, hey, you might want to screen for diabetes. So have you picked up patients that had no clue that they were having problems with blood pressure or, or diabetes without, um, and, and were just in for kind of like a, a routine check? Yes, so I don't tend to see people for routine checks, but I've seen people who were having retina issues and had no idea it was due to either their hypertension or their diabetes. They didn't know they had either one. And unfortunately then we're able to send them to a great primary care doc who gets that under control and oftentimes that'll help the eye issues as well. Yes. Wonderful. All right, well, let's talk about cataracts for a little bit here. Uh, one caller from Sioux Falls was told that she has cataracts. Should she wait to see a physician until they've noticeably affected her vision, or um, is it ever too early to get cataract surgery? Do they have to mature, or what's the plan for that? I know that's not quite a your area. Oh, no, that, you got the back right. of the eye, this is the front now. Um, so what I tell patients is everyone who lives long enough will develop cataracts. Um, that is just a part of aging that unfortunately is not escapable. Cataract surgery is the most common surgery done in the U.S. They really do a great job with it, but it still is a surgery. And so what I tell patients is if you're not having trouble from the cataracts, there's nothing to be gained by having cataract surgery. So is there such a thing as too early? Not necessarily, but why would you take that risk, although it is very small, until it's going to help your quality of life? So I often recommend until you're noticing problems from the cataract, except for rare exceptions, you probably don't need to do anything about yeah. them. And that's more kind of like at night, the halos around lights or difficulties with reading, is that the? So oftentimes the halos around lights are one of the first things that people notice. What I kind of compare a cataract to is when you're born, your lens is nice and crystal clear like a kitchen window, and gradually that natural lens of the eye starts to fog over and look more like a shower door. So colors aren't gonna be quite as crisp. Oftentimes you do get issues with those halos at night. and just the clarity is not there like it used to be with or without glasses. All right, excellent. Well, well, it looks like third time's a charm here. We should have Dr. Bernard up. I'll let you introduce yourself and then we'll let you answer some questions here. Okay, can you hear me? Yes, oh, I'm so excited, thank you. Yeah, good. So I have been doing general ophthalmology in Rapid City for about 20 years. I grew up in the area, went to high school in Spearfish, um, did undergrad in Vermilion and medical school at the University of South Dakota. Went on to do my ophthalmology training in Denver and um, joined the Rapid City Medical Center in 2000. So I practice comprehensive ophthalmology and take care of a little bit of everything and uh, send the difficult stuff off to the specialists. All right, wonderful. Well, thanks so much for joining us and not giving up on uh, our technical <laughs> difficulties here. So yeah. some questions for you. Um, a caller from Sioux Falls has glaucoma and uses Timolol eye drops, which have led to some hair loss and migraines. Are there other or better options that might have fewer side effects for her? Well, glaucoma is a, um, 
it's a different disease for every person. And um, choosing the right eye drop kind of depends upon the patient's other medical problems and history of response to eye drops that have been tried. But there are many other classes of eye drops that could be tried. And a very good treatment for patients with open angle glaucoma in their early stages is actually a laser treatment called selective laser trabeculoplasty. So if you're having side effects or concerns from an eye drop, I always recommend patients discuss it with their provider and discuss alternatives because there's a lot of them. Excellent. So if you're having problems, let someone know. We, we can't fix problems we don't know are there. I think that's the biggest thing is, is communicate yep. if you're having an issue and concerns. So Absolutely. All right. Another question here that I'm guessing was never covered on a previous show. A caller from Sioux Falls asked if there was any relation between double vision and COVID. Have you guys been seeing that at all? Or I, I know for a while we were seeing a lot of kind of almost look like pink eye with people that were having COVID, but I haven't heard the double vision. I actually had a patient show up um, not long after she got a COVID vaccination with some double vision that did resolve after that. But I think it kind of goes along with some of the fatigue and brain fog and other things that people have experienced. And many people have a slight misalignment of their eye. We call that euphoria. And they many times can compensate for that, but sometimes illness or um, fatigue can cause some decompensation there and they will notice some double vision. Many times those problems get better and if they're not, see your ophthalmologist or optometrist, and many times um, a little pair of prism glasses can be beneficial. Excellent. So, and uh, another caller is asking about uh, seeing some bright zigzag colored patterns uh, in her vision and wondering what could possibly be causing that. Well, I can answer that, or we can leave that to Dr. Atchison, but when they're really, um, descriptive about uh, zigzag lines, geometrical patterns, and light. Um, we would call that scintillations even. Um, many times it's more of a migraine type uh, variant that causes those um, light sensations. Um, we do worry about flashing lights um, for retinal tears and retinal detachments, but those tend to be more like a little bolt of lightning and, and not quite so descriptive in the geometrical pattern. Uh, yeah, that was the first thing that was coming to my mind. That sounds like a, an aura for a, a migraine headache. So, well, yeah. Dr. Atchison, um, patient uh, from Aberdeen calls and would like to know more about an epiretinal membrane. What is it? So that's another common thing we see. It's one of those things that people typically haven't heard of before they're diagnosed with it. Um, again, talking about the macula, which is that central part of vision. For a lot of people, they get this extra layer of tissue on top, and it's more common in people with a history of terror detachment, more common in people with a history of inflammation, but also just very common. And oftentimes that membrane can just sit there, and as long as it's not causing any problems, we don't need to do anything about it. But occasionally it can contract, and instead of having a nice smooth contour, it can start to make it jagged, which can start to affect your vision. Um, and in that case, sometimes we do go in and surgically remove that membrane, which can help lessen the symptoms. 
Okay, so just like your sock being crumpled up in your shoe can be really annoying if that membrane is crumpled up on your eye, it can affect you too. Exactly. Okay, sounds good. Well, age-related macular degeneration affects more than 10 million Americans. More people have it than cataracts and glaucoma combined. Prairie Doc reporter Carter Schmidt interviewed Dr. Mary Miller about this disease. Macular degeneration is a breakdown of retinal layers specific to the macula, the retinal pigment epithelial layer. When, it, when it's the dry version, we start to see little yellowish deposits, almost like little, uh, little bumps, little texture change back there. We call it drusen. That would be more in the dry form. When there's the wet form, we start to see breakdown of layers and new vessel growth um, that stem from trying to uh, get a breakdown of nutrients there and trying to, this blood vessel growth forms, trying to stimulate more uh, nutrient and uh, a breakdown of that layer then, you know, start to get these vessels grow and those are weak and they leak and they bleed. So m many of the treatments are geared towards trying to stop the, the stimulus to that blood vessel growth. There are a lot of new things um, coming down the pipeline for macular degeneration. So first of all, with macular degeneration, we can get into looking at whether we're treating dry or wet. And for wet macular degeneration in, in particular, we started off with injections um, being some of the newer things. Uh, injections of medications, ILEA, Avastin, Lucentis, to stop some of that uh, uh, blood vessel growth and bleeding and leaking of fluid into the retina. And uh, we were doing those on a monthly basis, sometimes four to six weeks. Some of our goals now are to try newer medications to try to elongate that time. So changing the medication structure and molecules to try to elongate that time in between injections. Um, it's definitely one of the things on the forefront now. Also, instead of changing the molecule, now we're looking at also how do we change uh, the delivery system? Instead of, you know, routine injections, can we put in a um, port system? So what are the signs that that's coming on and like what should people expect with their vision? When macular degeneration occurs in its very early phases, you may not notice much at all. And that's one of the, the biggest reasons we are advocates of routine eye exams. Um, then when we start to see those signs, we can do portions of exams, some special tests called OCTs or scanning lasers that will show us whether, where exactly those drusen are, if there's fluid leaking in different retinal layers, uh, and just how involved things are. It can also allow us to watch for change over time. So the expectation would be to uh, definitely expect exams at least yearly, if not more. Sunglasses for that issue, and is there something you recommend there or kind of how that can help that? Absolutely. We know that UV exposure is one of the biggest things to, uh, to kickstart progression with macular degeneration. So uh, good UV protection, good sunglasses, whether it's summer, whether it's winter, we know can be one of the best things that we can recommend. Uh, so for summer, obviously the sun is out, but for winter, we tend to forget about things like that. But the sun is reflecting up off the road surfaces, off snow. So you're still getting that light through 
and to the macula. So really anytime you're outdoors for any amount of time, good UV sunware is definitely recommended. Can either of you comment on why it seems that uh, women tend to get uh, macular gen degeneration more commonly than men? Is there any thought as to why that happens? I think one of the more common things is it is age-related and women live longer than men. I think that explains most of the difference. All right, excellent. Well, we are getting some fabulous uh, viewer questions here asking about things that I have never heard of. I feel like I need to go to remedial med school right now. So uh, let's, let's ask about some of these. I'm very curious to learn more. Uh, could you discuss Charles Bonnet syndrome? Either of you have a, a particular burning passion on this topic? Probably more my world. Okay. Um, so Charles, it's actually pronounced Bonnet. Bonnet, oh. We're very so fancy. French. Yes. Um, yes. And it is a symptom where a lot of patients with macular degeneration who have a profound, what we call scotoma, uh, mm -hmm. profound loss of vision in a particular part of their vision, their brain starts to fill it in. Um, and it starts to fill it in, not only some people get patterns, but some people also see very elaborate scenes. I think of a patient who told me that he can look out his window and see kids getting on the school bus in summer, even though he knows it's winter. It can be really disconcerting because it certainly seems like a problem with the brain, but it is purely a side effect from having that loss of vision in a specific part of the eye. So it's not a visual hallucination, it's not a psych issue, it is an eye. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. Wow, I learned something new today. Excellent. So another question, uh, caller was asking about uh, Fuchs dystrophy in the cornea, and she's wondering, should she switch from an optometrist to an ophthalmologist to manage this? So I'd be happy to answer that. Excellent. Um, yeah, so Fuchs dystrophy is a very commonly inherited um, corneal disease, and it's where the inner layer of the cornea can slowly break down. And in most people, it is a um, something we find on exam, but it's rarely visually significant. In the few um, percentage of patients where that disease progresses, um, it can eventually lead to swelling of the cornea and decrease in vision. It used to be the only treatment was a full corneal transplant, but now um, it can be treated with localized surgery where you just replace that endothelial layer um, and if the disease is very limited, perhaps just removing those diseased area. So it depends upon her symptoms and how advanced her disease is, but if she's concerned about the Fuchs dystrophy, she may at least want to consult with an ophthalmologist to help stage her disease. All right, well, wonderful. Well, we've got tons of questions to get here too, so I will ask you to be brief since our time is already going by so quickly. So I think some of these are a little quick. So are the eye vitamins sold at drugstore useful, worth the money, or is it just a, a marketing gimmick? Yes, if you have at least moderate macular degeneration, no otherwise. All right, excellent. Is there any cure for floaters? Yes. Go ahead, Dr. Ashton. Yes, but it's surgical, so most people, the benefits don't outweigh the risk. Excellent. All right. And uh, what are the differences in the symptoms between a detached retina and just floaters? So, a loss of vision. 
So if you look at something with one eye, if part of the vision is missing, that makes me very concerned that maybe it's detached. Okay, so if it's just a little sparkly or the little floater things, don't worry about it, can't see. All right. A viewer has macular degeneration in one eye and the other eye is now starting to display some cloudiness. Could it be macular degeneration or cataracts or something else? It could, could be. be both. <laughs> could be both, okay. So see your ophthalmologist and they yes. can figure it out. Yes. I'm glad Check you Check your Ambler grid. <laughs> yeah, you guys are so smart. All right. Is there any way to help a retina burn from a prior cataract surgery several years ago? Typically, no, that gets back to the fact that retina is unfortunately neural tissue and we still can't heal a scar in the retina. Hopefully in the future, they're, they're developing a lot of things as time goes on, but currently, no. Okay, well, someday, hopefully, mm -hmm. right? All right, oh, another uh, caller from Sioux Falls is wondering, what do you do for MGD? Do you wanna let everyone in on what those uh, initials stand for? Sure, MGD is meibomian gland dysfunction. And the meibomian glands are little tiny glands that run along the upper and lower eyelids. And they produce meibum, which is an oily type secretion. And when we blink, a little bit of those secretions enter the tear film and they help stabilize and prevent evaporation of our tears. Um, and a very common cause of dry eye is when these meibomian glands stop working correctly. They can get thickened, they can get kind of plugged up and Sometimes they even get a little bacterial overgrowth. Um, so common treatments are trying to relieve the plugging of the glands by doing warm compresses, um, lid scrubs, sometimes supplementing with high quality fish oil. Excellent. So mm -hmm. speaking of eyes uh, and dry eyes, can you talk a little about, about the Restasis eye drops? When do people need them? Are they useful? What are they good for? So Restasis is um, topical cyclosporine drops and they've been around for 15 plus years and it was the first um, prescription medication approved for treating dry eye. And uh, really you need an eye care provider to decide whether or not they're appropriate for you. Okay, is that the same as Zydra or is that a different medication? Or? Zydra is a different medication and it works slightly differently, but it's also approved for dry eye treatment. And again, probably best to have your eye care provider decide if it's the right treatment for you. Not the commercial that says, this is a great treatment. So every yeah. patient has their individual needs and health issues to make sure whether, which one's right for you. So I think that's, that's a great thing. So a caller from Hartford, South Dakota, would like to know more about dry eyes and how temporary tear duct plugs, that's a tongue twister, work to help them. Yeah, so a tear duct plug is basically a little tiny cap that's placed in or over the puncta, which are the little tiny openings in our eyelids where the tears normally drain to enter the nasolacrimal duct and down into the nose. So for people that have a difficulty producing tears, by putting a plug there, you maintain the tears that you do produce on the eye longer, which can really help with dry eye. Um, they're not the answer for everyone though, and if you have a lot of MGD or um, inflammation in the eye, that needs to be treated before you plug the tears. 
Excellent. So here's a question uh, about a medication called naproxen. Can it come in a form of an injection or only in a pill? I prescribe naproxen a lot. It's uh, a leave. So I haven't heard. Do you guys ever use that as an injection for inflammation in the eye? No. I know. I didn't think so either. So excellent. Good question. All right, a caller has macular edema and the doctor told her that she should leave it alone if it doesn't bother her, but surgery could correct it. She wants to leave it alone, but she wants to know, is she making the right decision? So she probably has, again, guessing, um, that epiretinal membrane causing a macular edema. Often macular edema is otherwise treated medically, um, but if it's physical from that membrane kind of tugging, you can peel it. I, I would give her that same advice, that if it's not bothering you, there's no reason to take the risk of surgery, surgery. Um, because it, it is something with risk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, excellent. So a viewer asks if uh, chewing tobacco can contribute to macular degeneration. We know smoking, but what about chewing tobacco? Probably, but it has not been studied granularly. Okay, excellent. So what is epithelial basement membrane dystrophy? So that's more of a corneal problem, and it can, re it can lead to irregularities in the surface of the cornea, which can cause fluctuations in vision and blurriness. Um, most common treatment is just making sure the eyes stay well lubricated, because when the eyes get dry, it makes those things more noticeable. Okay, excellent. So a caller from Sioux Falls is wondering why so many medications list dry eye and dry mouth as a side effect. What's up with these eyes? Why are they being so pesky or why are all these medications affecting them so much? Well, some drug classes really do um, cause dry eye. And um, I also think dry eye is just really prevalent. So if you look at many of the inserts and drugs, they're gonna say blurry vision or eye changes. And, and so dry eye is one of those, but there are some drug classes that really do dry out the eyes and you know, diuretics are an obvious one. Um, some of the anticholinergics as well. Yeah, a lot of the medications for irritable um, bladder, like the yeah. oxybutynin um, for overactive mm -hmm. bladder. I know that one is notorious for causing dry eyes. Yeah. So. All right. Um, a caller from Scotland, South Dakota, is wondering why do they care so much about taking certain medications when you've had cataracts removed? Is that um, something to be concerned about with medication choices? I'm guessing they're probably thinking about tamsulosin, which is a medication used to treat um, prostate issues. Um, and the way that that medication works, it affects the basically the musculature of the iris. And when we go to do cataract surgery, we need to dilate the eye to get a good view into the eye. And for people that have been on Tamsulosin or Flomax, the iris kind of loses its tone. And so it can become kind of floppy in the eye during surgery. Um, but that's really the only kind of medication I can think of that should be mentioned um, specifically in regards to cataract surgery. All right, well, that's a good one to know because that's a really common, again, cataracts, we're talking about older people generally and Flomax is generally older gentlemen that need that medication, so very yeah. good. And interestingly, for patients that, that take it, um, going off of it for a few days or even a few weeks, um, 
generally is not helpful when it comes time for the cataract surgery. Okay, so a uh, caller who tore his retina in his sleep has lost sight completely in one eye due to the retinal detachment. The only surgery presented for him had a recovery process that would be very difficult for someone who lives alone. Uh, would there be any other options that would be uh, feasible for that? It kind of depends on where the retinal detachment is. Um, for most retinal detachment surgeries, the recovery is tough. Um, it usually involves being face down for about 50 minutes out of every hour um, for that first week um, because we put a gas bubble in the eye that kind of helps splint the retina into place. My guess is that's what he's talking about. Unfortunately, there isn't a great way around that at this point. All right. so. And a caller from Sioux Falls was told she has cataracts. Again, do you wait until it noticeably affects the vision or do you just jump ahead and get it fixed? Well, I don't recommend doing any kind of surgery unless the benefits outweigh the risks. And if they're not symptomatic, there's really no need to proceed with surgery. All right, so don't go under the knife unless it's going to give a, a measurable improvement difference. Right. In the the um, benefits outweigh the risks. Yes. All right, excellent. A Facebook viewer asked, can you discuss diabetic retinopathy? Uh, I know we touched on it a little bit earlier. A son was dealing with this after hemorrhages were found in both eyes during a re recent vision exam. So that is something that's really common. The best thing to do to deal with it is definitely follow with your eye care provider, but also getting that blood sugar and blood pressure under as good control as it can be. That really makes the biggest difference. Excellent, yes. So a caller from Sioux Falls has had sinus infections for over two years, as well as suffered from blurriness in the eyes. Do you think the sinus infections are connected to the eye changes or eye issues? Um, they certainly can be. Um, the inflammation within the sinuses, you know, the the socket of the eye sits just above it and uh, there can be some um, pain and irritation that can be transferred to the eyes. Um, I guess it probably needs to be evaluated and if they're having sinus infections make sure those are fully treated and get a complete eye exam to see if there's any other cause for the blurriness. All right, excellent. Well, a question that I promised I would ask on tonight's show uh, from the In the Moment uh, yesterday was, do those glasses, that uh, blue blocking glasses that they recommend for people who are on computer screens, are they helpful? Are they a gimmick? Should you buy them? Is it going to help with eye strain? What are your thoughts on those? Well, there was a recent um, randomized study, and they really did not show any benefit. All right, so they, they just look cool. Okay. <laughs> All right, and have you guys had any um, interaction with the Lions Foundation and like their eyeglass donation program? Um, a little bit. I know in our office we have a bucket to collect for them, and I work with an organization that um, the Lions Club uh, helps out with some vision screening. Excellent. So I think that's just such a wonderful program. If you have glasses, you're not using them, your prescription has changed, they're old, um, you know, why not give them to someone who will be able to use them? Because glasses are not cheap. I mean, they're no. very <laughs> expensive, but very life-changing for the people who need them. And I'm so grateful that we have the Lions program that can 
donate. So um, in our last 60 seconds here, any burning things that you absolutely want to tell the audience before you go? Final thoughts. Hmm. Get your yearly eye exam. Get your yearly eye exam. I think that's wonderful. Dr. Atchison? I'm going to kind of piggyback, but also get regular physicals, because oftentimes we do see the results of neglected phys overall physical health in the eyes. Yep, and, and I see the results of neglected eye health, so <laughs> I, I think we're a team here. So thank you so much. You guys have taught me. I, I learned a lot of things tonight. This was fascinating, so excellent. So, and now for the answer to tonight's Prairie Dot quiz question. Choose two of the following options. In developed countries, the leading cause of blindness include A, infection, B, complications of diabetes, or C, glaucoma. And the answers are B, complications of diabetes, and C, glaucoma. The winner of tonight's quiz is Clara Bowens from Madison, South Dakota. Thank you, Clara, so much for participating. A book will be in the mail soon. We'll be right back after this. For nearly two decades, the Prairie Dock organization has endeavored to enhance health and diminish suffering by providing useful information based on honest science in a respectful and compassionate manner. Health professionals volunteer to answer your questions each week, creating a vast Prairie Dock library of medical information available to you and your family 24 hours a day. Make sure you don't miss a thing. Follow the Prairie Dock on Facebook and YouTube for free and easy access to the entire Prairie Dock Library. Eyes are often called the window to the soul, but they can also be the window to your health. Most people know that it is essential to visit your primary physician for an annual checkup, but an annual eye exam is an important part of staying healthy as well. The eye is the only area in the body where doctors can see the small blood vessels with such clarity. So during your annual physical exam, your physician will examine your eyes briefly with a handheld tool called an ophthalmoscope. This device gives your physician a great view of those blood vessels located on the back wall of the eye. However, a much more thorough understanding of your eye health, you need a dedicated eye exam by an optometrist or an ophthalmologist. These healthcare providers have an arsenal of tools and techniques at their disposal for examining the eye and screening for eye disease. For example, when your optometrist or ophthalmologist looks at the back wall of your eye, they lower the lights in the room and use eye drops to dilate your eyes. This enhanced exam is more effective in detecting changes in or damage to those blood vessels, which can be caused by high blood pressure or diabetes. As a result, eye doctors frequently refer patients to their primary care physicians in these early stages of the disease. When diabetes is diagnosed, medical doctors and eye specialists work hand in hand in monitoring patients for complications from this disease. One such complication, called diabetic retinopathy, damages the blood vessels of the retina and is the most common cause of blindness in American adults. This too can be detected during a dilated eye exam. An eye specialist can also screen for glaucoma, a condition where fluid builds up in the eye causing increased pressure that can damage the optic nerve. 
If left untreated, it can lead to blindness. Macular degeneration is another disease that your optometrist or ophthalmologist is trained to detect. This is an eye disorder with aging and results in damage to the central vision, which at its worst can result in permanent impairment of vision needed for reading and close-up sight. It takes a team of providers to monitor and maintain your health. When scheduling your annual exam, do not ignore your eyes as they can be the window that we need to see what's going on in the rest of your body. A big thank you to our guests, Gail and Elizabeth, for volunteering their time and experience to help us learn more about the importance of eye care. If you would like more information about this program or to see or hear more episodes of this program, please like and follow us on Facebook and YouTube or visit us at prairiedoc.org. And be sure to look for the podcast of this program, Prairie Doc On Call, wherever you get your podcasts. That does it uh, here tonight from all of us here at the Prairie Doc. Until next time, stay healthy out there, people. drugs that can help us can also hurt us if they are abused. Currently, the opioid crisis is a problem for many people. The Monkey on Your Back, Addiction and Recovery, next time on call with The Prairie Doc. Hi, I'm Ken Bartholomew. I'm a doctor from Pierce, South Dakota, and I grew up in Lemon, South Dakota. I've been a fan of The Prairie Doc since its inception. I've known uh, Rick and Joni home for about 25 years. Rick's uh, vision was to have free, non-biased uh, medical information that had no political or manufacturing spin and it's available to anyone with a TV set or a computer uh, free of charge. We're funded completely by donations. We don't accept any advertising money. We're a 501c3 foundation and you can go to prairie.org and donate. Major funding for On Call with the Prairie Doc has been provided by... Avera is a proud sponsor of On Call with the Prairie Doc on South Dakota Public Broadcasting. Larson Manufacturing is proud to support On Call with the Prairie Doc as it continues to open doors for important medical information. And with the ongoing support for these individuals and institutions, Brookings Health System, Ophthalmology Limited, South Dakota Academy of Family Physicians, Avera Heart Hospital, First Bank and Trust, South Dakota Foundation for Medical Care, Dakota Allergy and Asthma, Vance Thompson Vision, Monument Health, Black Hills Medical Society, 
Brookings Madison Flander District Medical Society, Peard District Medical Society, Sioux Falls District Medical Society, Yankton District Medical Society, Aberdeen District Medical Society, Urology Specialists, Orthopedic Institute, Physicians Care Sanford Clinic Community Service Committee, Lake Ponset Sailing Academy, Aberdeen Asthma and Allergy, Dakota Bank, South Dakota American College of Physicians, and Swiftel Communications.